The disease begins with purple striations of the toes. If you have the disease, you'll be gruesomely dead in 72 hours, unless, unless what? How can you prevent a nasty death? And your response was, there's a cave atop a 12,000 foot mountain where volcanic waters make a special ecosystem possible. A rare species of plant has a symbiotic relationship with a bacterium in said cave containing the cure. It requires a flight to Costa Rica and a spelunking into a dark tunnel. My guest on today's episode is Tony Torzio, and I have to say this one merged so much of my history with my present. We had an opportunity to talk a lot about uh, my own personal biography, which I try to keep at a minimum, but this episode I just really went off the hook and, and told a lot of personal stories. Tony is a wealth of information, and uh, I think you're going to love this episode. One thing to note, we jump into the actual storytelling portion right around 30 minutes. So if you think, what happened? Jody now has a medical podcast. Just bear with me. And also, take some time to listen in because there's some fascinating information here to digest, dissect, and to incorporate into your own fiction writing, possibly. Uh, it's also noticeable that this is my second biological sci-fi guest that I've had on in a couple of weeks. Uh, the last one was Shane Simonson or Haldane B. Doyle. Um, so check out both of those guys. If you enjoyed this kind of story, you're guaranteed to like their writing. And finally, last but not least, I have a couple of books out. If you want to purchase them, you always can. The cheapest place to go is directly to my website, www.jodyjsperling.com, or you can buy them off Amazon if you feel like that's more official and easier to do for some reason. You'd be wrong, but I totally am cool with that. And if you're interested, I am offering the first three ebooks in my Luke and Time Mysteries series for only $9.99. You got to reach directly out to me to get that link. I don't put it anywhere else on the internet except in my Facebook ads. So unless Facebook thinks that you're a perfect target for it, uh, it's not going to necessarily grab onto you. I'm also only spending a small amount of money. So not a lot of people are seeing the ad at this point, but if if you think you'd love to read all three books, the first three in the series for just $9.99, check with me in an email, comment on my Substack, whatever you want to do, and I hope that you have a wonderful day. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Tony Torzio. If you've ever watched an author read in public and felt bored, TRBM is the antidote. TRBM is for writers what time-lapse was for painters, guitar solos and spotlights were for bands, what chainsaws and ice blocks were for sculptors. What does TRBM stand for? Tearful reunions brighten motherhood? Tasty rigatoni bolognese meal? Tempting revolutionary bears to mate? You decide. I read a book about um about aging and how um how we're getting closer to being able to make it so that people don't age so the book at the time was called uh immortality how science is expanding your lifespan hmm. and it was written by ben bova who's who's traditionally a science fiction writer but it was a non-fiction book um so i read that book and then i read another book about viruses and one of the things that 
what's interesting is that uh, viruses, as they as they um, evolve, if you will, or as they're subjected to various environmental pressures, um, they tend to become more benign over time. Because mm-hmm. you, you can imagine that right. if a virus kills off all of its hosts, it has nowhere else to live. Yeah. So the environmental pressure is death of host. And the other environmental pressure is um, people taking precautions because of that virus. And then, you know, nowadays vaccines, right? So, so with those various environmental pressures, the virus has to adapt and change itself. So anyway, these, these, these two ideas came together in my head. Well, what if there were a virus that kept someone alive for a long period of time and what would that look like? Right. So, Mm, yeah. Uh, well, I, like I the started... virus comes in and uh, actually increases the lifespan for its own benefit is is the idea. Right. So more of a yeah. symbiotic relationship. And and so I, I started researching that and it turns out um, there are there's different kinds of viruses. So there's one called a retrovirus that can insert mm-hmm. its RNA or DNA into a cell and then that cell can replicate. Yeah. And it doesn't harm the cell. There's mm-hmm. other kinds where when they inject their RNA or DNA into the cell, um, that cell replicates it. But then when it, when it emerges, it destroys the cell. And yeah. those, those are the kinds that we generally think of. Um, and then there's what is a, a what's an example. Sorry. What's an example of, of each? Can you think of one that, that maybe like the public would know uh, where's one that doesn't harm the cell and where's one that does harm the cell? Yeah, so I guess uh, the best example is uh, one that we all have, uh, and that's our mitochondria. Um, okay. So they think that the actual mitochondria in, in cells uh, is a result of uh, a retrovirus transcribing really? its own RNA and DNA. Yeah, so I mean, it's it, it's not proven, but it's that's theorized. Tell me, yeah. tell me where I can find that. I can even edit it out of the podcast. I am personally interested in pursuing that. I've never heard that before, and that's a fascinating uh, concept. Yeah, um, I'd have to find some resources, but uh, no if you just Google mitochondria origins, okay. and you know, there's a couple of different ideas. <clears throat> some are saying, well, maybe it was proteobacteria, and some of it was from from retroviruses. So yeah. there's the the jury's still out. Okay. okay. That's cool though. I mean, it's, it's a cool idea because without mitochondria, you have no energy because mitochondria is what creates energy and ATP and you can't live without ATP. And so like the, the idea that our very life depends on uh, a virus that is symbiotically inside of us would change the way I think all of us think about our life. I already know, and and I think it's well known by many people that bacteria is highly responsible for our emotional well-being and that there's uh, there are more connections to our emotional well-being in our gut than there are in our brain. You know, so we already know we have these symbiotic relationships with tiny little bacteria. And now I'm thinking, wow, virus is also at play. And critical for our livelihood and that that just that fascinates me yeah no so that that's a really great point so the bacteria in your gut as you've said can can significantly influence your your mood yeah and um they think that the the way that the bacteria gets passed on from uh, mother to child is in the the birth canal and so right. a large portion of 
you know, your mood and how you behave is is dictated by these viruses. And, and so the average human body has uh, a few billion right. uh, bacteria in it. But what maybe a lot and that, you know, we call that the the biome, right? Um, but what maybe a lot of people aren't aware of is that there's there's also something called a virome. The average yeah. human body has over a trillion viruses in it. See, now that is that is something that I was unaware of until we started talking is that I knew about the biome. Um, why is this not more common knowledge that viruses are the same thing? It makes perfect sense, by the way. I mean, um, well, and, and so for, it's, for it's example, but 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 these are not. Um, so so I haven't had a chance to talk about this other kind of virus, which is uh, a bacteriophage. Right. And so. So, so a bacteriophage is a virus that um, it, it looks like something with six little legs and a, a pin, and it, it looks like a, a walking syringe. It's it's crazy looking, okay? But it's 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 evolved to attack a specific kind of bacteria, inject its DNA into it, and destroy it. And, you know, they're also called phages for short. And so the majority of those those trillion viruses that I described that are in a person's body tend to be phages. Some phages are good, some phages are bad. So an example is um, if you have gut bacteria that are good and there are phages attacking those bacteria, well, then those are the bad, bad ones. But you may also have viruses attacking bad bacteria in your body. And, you know, we would consider those those good. But if, if you take any colony of bacteria... It, it's naturally going to have bacteriophages in it. And so some of the experiments that the Russians did back in the 50s and 60s was um, they would use a centrifuge to spin out those bacteriophages, and then they would inject people who were suffering from pneumonia or some other ailment with yeah. the bacteriophage, and it would it would kill it. Now, why didn't we do that kill in the, the pneumonia. US? Yeah, so why didn't we do that in the U.S.? Well, it's because... Um, one is expensive. Two, you have to know the specific bacteria that that's that's there. So it, you can't just say it's strep throat. You have to say it's this particular strain of streptococcus. Right. So um, the the uh, the bacteriophage would have to be specific to to that, and it's it's difficult to produce, right? So yeah. it's it's just not economically feasible for us to do it. But now with things like MRSA. Mm-hmm. It's becoming more of a uh, um, an idea, but anyway, yeah. So I, I conceived of this idea of a virus that would be beneficial and would extend the life of its host, um, and, and then you know the idea was, well, how how would that yeah happen, and why don't we all have it right? And so that's that's the the origin story. My book, uh, Children of the U, that I wrote. And finally published and finished uh, in 2022 yeah. was based on that concept. So and that that idea is what started me writing. Is I, I started writing it. No I kidding. wrote maybe 46 okay. pages. Life happened, and I paused until maybe 2017. Right, and then I started yeah. writing again. 
I, I love, long, I love long that answer your question. No, it's, like, it's great. And I, I'm, I'm really happy that we went there. So first, first off the phrase life happens has got to be one of the, the, the most enjoyable phrases. George Carlin famously has a comedy sketch in which he talks about all the different uses of the F word, which by the way, you can swear on my podcast. If you wish, I don't typically, it's just, uh, I'm not sure why, but this is the same thing. Life happens is one of those phrases that can go any different way. <laughs> and I, I really, I really like your, your use of it here. It's sort of like, Hey, life happens. I didn't write for a little while, came back to it, did my thing. I love the idea. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm a passionate learner. Um, I know one other person who feels the way I do that if there was a, a model for just being in school, I would get every major there was. I'd go through math, I'd go through science, I'd go through English. I'd tear through every major I could and just continue to get degrees and learn things because I have a real, like, I just light up when I'm learning something. So listening to you talk about this was was like, uh, I have to figure out all of this now. I have to understand and incorporate it into my understanding. Really excited about that. Had a guest on the show recently, a uh, pen named Haldane, who talked about... Um, biological sci-fi and kind of a different take on on sci-fi than most of us are are familiar with. I'm excited to see where this goes because I feel like it's sort of the same thing. You have a different take on um what can only be called science fiction, right? It has to be science fiction because of the topic, yeah? Right. Yeah, and I would call it uh near future biological science fiction. Yeah. Um, with some genetic engineering and quantum computing thrown in. So it's, yeah, it's, it's just by sheer luck that I've had two people who are doing biological science fiction in such a short period of time. His episode will come out here shortly. Yours won't be far behind. Um, what a cool difference. I think if I'm going to be honest, I'm more drawn to a biological sci-fi than I am to a space exploration sci-fi, which is not to say that I don't want space thrown in, but I really like the element of of exploring what we already know because it's kind of like our bodies are a universe unto themselves. There's so much happening that I feel like we can plumb for great effect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the thing is... Um... I, I'm really into space exploration. I've, I've read a lot of books about them. I'm, I, mm-hmm. I've chosen not to write those types of books. Yeah. And, and part of it is because I feel like in order for us to actively explore space, there need to be some changes in our biology. We had, need to have a better understanding of our own bio, our own biology. For mm-hmm. one, um, just our lifespan being as short as it is makes it hard to do any sort of deep space exploration beyond our solar system. Yeah. Not that there's not plenty of, we could do within our own solar system. There's plenty to be discovered there, but, um, and, and then the other piece is, uh, when you're in space without a significant amount of shielding, which takes mass, which is hard to get out of the earth's gravity. Um, you're, you're subject to a lot of cellular degeneration and we don't really mm-hmm. know how to counteract that. And so, you know, without some advances in biology and some basic understanding of our own human bodies, which, you know, if you were to take a a 19th or 20th century physician and put them in a doctor's office today, the methodologies that they utilized wouldn't be much different. It's really about, you know, what are your symptoms? Right. Okay, well, let's take this class of symptoms and let's you know, we have advanced methods available where we can do genome sequencing of the 
of the viruses and bacteria in your body and figure out exactly what they are. But yeah. we don't take advantage of those due right. to economic reasons, right? Okay, so what we're going to do, uh, it's a little it's a little uh, unconventional for the way that I typically run story episodes, but we're going to continue to talk about this. I'm going to read the tweets because the the tweets themselves that you're on my show to talk about and tell a story about uh, okay. are, are intimately tied in here. But I want to, as I'm doing this part, I'm going to read both of our tweets and I just want to put this in your brain to kind of chew on and come back to. Okay. Um, I had... Uh, some extreme anxiety to the point where it was disruptive in my life. And I tried everything I could to get rid of it. Um, over and over and over again, I would go into an employment situation. I would work for a while. As soon as I figured out how to do the job, I became bored. And when I became bored, all I could think about was quitting and leaving. Like, it's just like, I learned everything I need to learn at this job. I've got to go. I can't stand going into work and the anxiety and the terror and the dread would like paralyze me. This happened a lot and I was married. And so I'm, I'm going into a time where I have children. I need stability. I can't figure it out. I have this great job that's paying me really good money, especially for my age. And I've gotten to that point where I'm like, I have to leave this place. Like I, there's nothing left for me here. And I'm, I'm in dread. I have a friend who was a diagnosed schizophrenic. He went to, uh, every, option he could. He got medicines for schizophrenia. He went the, and I'm going to start using the word, so I'll tip you off to where this is going, but he went to every allopathic doctor he could find and nobody could cure him. And he was just in, in like at his wits end. So he went to a homeopathic physician and the homeopath gave him a remedy and he has never had a recurrence since they found his remedy of schizophrenic symptoms. Uh, all that to say, this friend introduced me to the homeopath. I went to the homeopath kind of as a last resort as well as like, I can't stay at this job. It's destroying my life mentally. And I found relief. Um, there's more to it, but I'm putting all of that on the table because you just mentioned that, that, uh, the medical world is still kind of doing the same thing it was for a long time. Homeopathy was actually a really big part of the medical world for for a while. And it's only been in the last maybe 100 years that it got moved out. I'm going to reserve all of my other comments until we kind of dive back into it. But let's let's read these tweets, collect your thoughts, okay. and we'll, we'll kind of jump back in. So the yeah. tweet that I invited you on the show for, actually, I've invited you twice. You took me up on the second one. The disease begins with purple striations at the toes. If you have the disease, you'll be gruesomely dead in 72 hours, unless, unless what? How can you prevent a nasty death? And your response was, there's a cave atop a 12,000 foot mountain where volcanic waters make a special ecosystem possible. A rare species of plant has a symbiotic relationship with a bacterium in said cave containing the cure it requires a flight to costa rica and a spelunking into a dark tunnel so i absolutely want to tell this story because if if you haven't already written the book and i just happened to stumble into it the story itself is really good but now that people have kind of an orientation to why we've been talking about medical things uh let's let's jump back into the, the homeopathy share share your thoughts with i feel like you're the kind of person who has the education that you're aware of homeopathy and has thoughts yeah so I think we need to make a, a distinction between homeopathy and naturopathy. And yes. so the, the idea of homeopathy, um, if you take the Greek roots, right? So homeo means the same, 
Yep. Empathy essentially means what's bothering you. So homeopathy means the same as what's bothering you. Yep. And so the idea of homeopathy is that um, if you're suffering from some sort of malady, like a headache, for example, they give you something that would cause similar symptoms and that would somehow resolve the uh, the issue. My, yep. my personal opinion on homeopathy is that uh, I don't feel like it was grounded in solid mm-hmm. science. Um, naturopathy, on the other hand, is where we are taking things from mm-hmm. nature, you know, plants, herbs, etc., and you know, practice for thousands of years in 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 China and and uh, ancient Ireland and and throughout the world, right? Where we saw, mm-hmm. okay, if I take this plant and I have this malady, it goes away, right? And right. so it's naturopathy is based on that. And so I I'm I'm more of a believer in in the idea of of naturopathy over homeopathy. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, maybe it's the placebo effect that might be working, yes. and in other cases, you know, possibly for wh- whatever whatever helped you deal with your situation. Mm. Uh, you know, I don't know the reasons why a lot of our body chemistry is different for you at work. So, you know, great. But uh, as a yeah. general rule, I don't tend to, um, you know, if I see a homeopathic remedy in the store, I won't mm-hmm. buy it. If I see a naturopathic remedy, then I'm more inclined to buy that. Yeah, I hear where you're coming from. And I really appreciate the the level of respect you approach the question with not knowing kind of my my path through everything. Um it just shows a lot of, I think it shows a lot of care and consideration on your part for humans that you answered the question the way that you did. Uh, really soft, still expressing your doubt that homeopathy works. Here's where I land on it is I think that there are still scientific frontiers that we just don't have a way of reckoning with. So I think that there's a possibility that we don't understand the science behind homeopathic remedies. For anybody who's listening and doesn't know what the hell it is, um, homeopathic remedies are derived by taking that like substance and uh, putting a droplet of it. And this is really boiled down, but putting a droplet of it in water and shaking it really, really hard. And then taking a droplet of that, say, we'll say it's like a gallon of solution. You take one drop, put it in another gallon of water, shake that and reiterate that maybe as many as a hundred times. For one, I'd love to see the labs that actually produce that because that's so labor intensive that to come up with a homeopathic remedy seems interestingly economically impossible. However. Yeah. And so that may be part of the the issue too, right? Is yeah. that um, there's, there's no real oversight in it. And, and one thing I will yeah. say, you know, as you were talking, I thought of this. So I, I, I have pretty bad allergies to pollen. Um, mm. grass is my worst, right? And mm-hmm. so um I I went through a series of allergy shots for about three years. And and what they did is they would inject me with the pollens that I was allergic to. Mm. And they, they would increasingly get more potent as time went on. So, you know, when I first was getting it, it was very weak injection. And so it sort of teaches yeah. your immune system to no Kinda longer react it. to that. Okay. I'm oversimplifying it probably, but yeah. um but it, it is, you know, it's giving you, you know, if we were to use the term homeopathy, um, yeah. any allergist listening here would would probably balk at my statement. But, you yeah. know, maybe that is a, a sort of 
similar to homeopathy in that you're taking what's ailing the person and you're using that to cure it. Small so, enough level. You that know, you're, uh, that yeah. I, I mean, there could certainly be cases of homeopathy where it works. I just, you know, the things I see for sale in the store, I right. tend to shy away from. Yeah. Um, add to it, there are other cases. So the the like cures like is a, an area of um, huge contention from allopathic medicine to homeopathic medicine. And to that, you would you would ask, okay, so we have this outbreak of ADHD, and what the doctors are saying, as far as I understand and have researched, is that this kid is overstimulated, so let's give them a stimulant, and that stimulant will counteract their overstimulation and bring them back to base level. So I think that there's some proof that, that like here's like has at least a place in our thought process. Here's where my story finishes, and then I want to jump into telling your story because I'm fascinated by your response to that tweet. Um, I got this homeopathic remedy and it, and it really worked really well, uh, for years. And then my children were having some struggles. My oldest son is, is on the spectrum. We've never had him diagnosed. That's a personal choice because we don't want him to carry a label around, but we're deeply steeped in how to kind of work with him. And uh, we've had a lot of success. My middle son, we can't figure out what's going on with him, but he has this high level of defiance and, and it's kind of ruining his social life and his school and all of that kind of stuff. We saw the, 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 the success I had with homeopathy. And so we went first to the homeopathic physician this time to try to get him remedies. And after four or five, six, nothing's working. It's kind of similar to how I was feeling about the allopathic stuff. And I think as I started to explore and research more and doubt what was going on, um, one of the main symptoms of my uh, issue returned and at that moment, I was like, I think I'm dealing with placebo here. I think I was so fully bought into homeopathy that the placebo effect really did the work. And placebo is an amazing thing. But as soon yeah, as I, I, stopped... so I have a funny story about that, actually. Yeah, please. <laughs> my 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 daughter, who's now um, 13, when when she was around six or seven, she would she would say, you know, I'm sure you've experienced this with your kids. She would get out of bed and say, hey, I'm having trouble sleeping. Yeah. I said, okay. Um, so I said, well, we're going to give you some placebo. And she said, well, what's placebo? I said, well, placebo has been shown in, uh, in experiments and studies to help people with their problems. Like it had no statistically significant difference from uh, <laughs> the, the medicine. And, yeah. and which is all true, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I said, so we're going to give you some placebo. So I, I, I just gave her a little bit of water with maybe a, a, a hint of sugar in it, right? Mm-hmm. And she would drink it and she would say, okay, well, I feel tired now. The placebo is working and she would go to sleep. No problem. And she would ask yeah. for placebo maybe once or twice a week and and it worked, but it was I, an actual placebo. It wasn't, you know, it was, uh, wasn't something else, but yeah. yeah, it is powerful. Our minds are very powerful at helping yeah. us heal, you know, even just having a positive attitude, you know, when you're fighting cancer or anything like mm-hmm. that yeah, can, can go a long way. So there's a couple of statements. For one, uh, I have exactly the same thing. And it was fairly recent. My youngest son uh, had gotten some kind of, um, it probably was impetigo from from wrestling mats, uh, but he's had a really bad itch. And so he had scratched it and broken open a blister. And then he needed a Band-Aid, needed a Band-Aid. And I was like, dude, this is getting old. <clears throat> 
So I said, buddy, I've got a special, a special thing for you that'll work. And I said, it's placebo. Literally, this is actually true. I said, it's placebo. It's going to work really well for you. Uh, and he's like, what's that? And I said, well, it hurts a teeny bit, but once I get it inside your ear, it will get rid of the itch and you'll feel better. <clears throat> so I just recently heard somebody talking about part of placebo is making sure that they understand they're not just drinking water. Like you put that little bit of sugar in there so that your daughter's mind says this tastes different. There must be something special in here. So right. just enough to give him that kind of like, Ooh, ouch. I just pinched his earlobe just enough that he felt like I must've like injected something in there and all better. No more itching. He doesn't need a band aid. It like, he just feels better and, and empowered and everything. Placebo is cool. So my second thing on placebo though, is what you said about cancer. If humanity could ever learn how to harness placebo, we could cure anything. It feels that way to me. It feels, it feels as if placebo, like our body actually holds the answer. And it's kind of sad that we can't figure out how to use it with the scientific method. Right. I mean, you know, yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I think um, being able to tap into that that power and uh, just, you know, one of the things they found with uh, studies of people that had been through really horrific tragedies and, and some of them came out of it um, completely messed up for the rest of their life and some of them came out of it feeling pretty horrible, but then afterwards uh, they... Um, they recovered and and the the main thing they found that was different between the two people was that the the people that that were okay in the long term had told themselves i'm going to be okay yeah and and that that alone was enough to um make them have uh, a better sense of well-being a better sense of mm -hmm. mental health and so you know part of what you're doing when you're giving someone a placebo it, even if you believe it's real and they believe it's real, right? Let's take your homeopathic example. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it was placebo, but let's say that it it was, right? Yeah. So if it if it were, then you had this sense that now that I'm taking this thing, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. And it's really just about you know believing that enough that somehow the rest of your body believes it and yeah does what it needs to do to fix itself. Exactly. That's, that's, that fascinates me. I 100% believe that as much as I believe anything else. Like I believe that the power inside of our body is greater than the doctors we can visit is greater than the homeopath that we can visit or the naturopath that we can visit. There's something inside of our body that is able to channel and communicate in such a way that if belief exists, you can overcome anything. Um, I, I wish I could remember the guy's name right now. He's fairly popular in the marketing and sales world, but he got he got hit by a car and was more or less left for dead and said he would never walk again. And now he runs marathons. Um, <laughs> but not only did that happen, after he got better and started running marathons, he was diagnosed with with a type of cancer that was a 1% chance of of survival. And he just said, I will survive this. And he survived. And so obviously when you have a guy who's had two interactions with what should be death um, and total change of life and to recover, a lot of people listen. The issue is he doesn't understand that it's simply his character, his brain that is the, the powerful thing. So he goes and writes these books. The Miracle Morning is the name of the book. You can look him up if you want to. I think he's a great guy and I love his message. I love his positivity. But at the same time, I'm sort of like, 
now you're selling this routine that you built after the fact when the reality Mm -hmm. was it was just your own passion to have verve and life that healed you. True. However, um, you know, you, you read his story or you hear his tale and you think, yes. well, that worked. Yes. yes so by, yes. by adopting the same methodologies, <laughs> it will work for me. And so you've, yeah. you've, you've been sort of uh, tricked into believing, yeah, yeah, this is, or convinced rather that, yeah, this is, I'm going to be okay after I do this. And, and yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. And so it works really well for people. He's a, he's a powerful inspiration for a lot of people. Okay, (laughs) man, I wish we could go for a lot longer than we actually can. Um, Let's, let's try to tell the story. Yeah. So the, the idea comes from uh, an actual story from, from Costa Rica. So there's a volcano in Costa Rica called El Rincón de la Valleja and Rincon means corner. Um, and in English, you can say corner to mean a far and remote location. Most people don't use it that way nowadays, but you've, you've probably heard the far corners of the earth, right? And, and that's that context that, that it means. And de la vieja means of, of the old woman. So the, the story behind this volcano is that, um, there were two, indigenous tribes at war um and the the chief who was called the cacique in um in the tribe the cacique is is the person in charge of everything his daughter was a healer and what she would do is she would go to these this these volcanic waters and she would find plants and she knew which plants would cure people of various ailments and so whenever anyone was sick, they would go to her and they would get healed. Well, um, she happened to fall in love with a man from the warring tribe. When her father found out about it, the cacique, he took the man and he threw him into the volcano. And she was, of course, distraught because she was pregnant with his <laughs> child. Distraught. And... and yeah, distraught's putting it mildly, right? So when when she had the child, she she went to the top of the volcano and she she threw her child into the the volcano so that uh it could be with its its father. Um so wow. she spent the rest of her days uh living in this remote volcano. She didn't jump in herself, but whenever anyone was sick, they would seek her out. And when people would ask, well, hey, where's where's La Vieja? You know, where's the old woman? They would say, oh, she's she's in La Rincon, El Rincon, you know, the, mm. that faraway place with the volcano. And so the volcano became named El Rincon de La Vieja. Yeah. So, wow. you know, I'd just gotten back from Costa Rica and heard this story when I saw your tweet and that's what inspired me to think that there was this plant mm. that would, that would be capable of, of, of curing the, uh, with a symbiotic relationship with the bacteria, because this happens yeah. a lot with, with, uh, with fungus 
where a fungus and a, and a plant will have mm. a relationship or yes. Um, there's something called uh, a lichen, which I'm sure mm-hmm. you've heard of. Yeah. It's, it breaks rocks down into soil. Well, it's, it's, it's a fungus and it's a bacteria. Yeah. And I think there's another organism. There's three organisms. That there are three. Okay. I knew there was a fungus and a bacteria. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So they, it's they like an algae, together. right? So it's an algae. Uh, yeah. Um, algae. There's an a algae, bacteria. a bacteria and a fungus. And they yeah. all, the three of them, have this symbiotic relationship and they live on rocks and they turn them into dirt and we wouldn't be here without them. Right. So um, there's lots of examples of this sort of symbiosis in nature. So I thought that would be uh, what would cure these purple striations, which are caused by uh, another bacteria, but this, Mm -hmm. you know, this, this bacteria would be able to defeat it. Yeah. What an amazing, I, uh... I just need time to think, to tell you the truth. We're going to get off this, this uh, podcast and I'm just going to have to sit down and think for a while because you've introduced this whole new idea to me that I knew was true. Um, I don't even have a, I don't even have an analogy for it at the moment, to be honest. Um, The podcast itself began uh, as a, the title of my podcast was create collaborate. I'm not going to go into the stupid story about how poorly I spelled it to be clever or anything like that. But my, my, my deepest belief about all good things is that they are collaborative. Um, and I mean, gosh, I could just rip off shorthand. So many of them, I am not the man I am without my wife. And I'm not saying I'm a good man, but I'm certainly not a functional man without her. And that search for her created who I am and being able to lean into her created the stability so that I can do things that I couldn't have done. Otherwise I'm not the person I am. I'm not the storyteller I am without my friend JP um, and his ability to kind of help me approach really scary topics that, that made me frightened Uh, and, and on and on and on and on I could go iterating all of the collaborations that lead to this place that I'm very happy to be in and that I think will bring success into my life and have an impact on the world at some level, hopefully a really big level. And I, I assume the same is true of you because you're you're so laser focused on this symbiotic relationship that there's no chance that you don't spend a lot of days just thinking about how fortunate partnerships create massive impacts yeah absolutely um and even even the way we think um you, you know you you'd like to think that your your consciousness and and everything that you, you think it, you're you're in complete control of um but it's really a a set of systems that are talking to each other in your brain and it's it's billions of neurons and the, the the stuff that we become aware of in our conscious minds is a very small part. It's the tip of that whole iceberg that's underneath, right? And so so that's a partnership between all of our cells, right? Yeah. So so yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. Um so with with this story, uh did we want to keep yeah, as my yes, ideas we, about what was going to happen next. Yes, but I, yeah. I, I do. I want you to keep telling the story. Absolutely. I want you to keep telling the story. Okay. So, so, um, the flight to Costa Rica takes them, uh, six hours and the, the striations continue. He's, you know, he's hiding the zombie bite, right? So yeah. he gets, he has <laughs> to get on the plane and, uh, and, and make it through security. 
you know, and taking off his shoes is very stressful because even getting them on was super painful. So when <clears throat> when he when he goes to take off his shoes and puts them in the car, he's kind of wincing and you know, he gets a few looks from the, the Department of Homeland Security, but they they let him through, right? And so while he's on the flight, uh he he gets in increasingly concerned glances from the the uh the the airline personnel, right? Who are who are wondering why, you know, why does this guy continue rubbing his feet and, and what's going on? But he's not showing the the striations, right? Um, mm -hmm. But his his friend has convinced him that the that the cure exists and that they can find it at the top of this volcano. So uh, after, to make a long story short, after arriving in Costa Rica and traveling to the base of this volcano um there's no infrastructure in place to get to the top and so yeah. they they actually have to hike yeah and this in itself is challenging because you know with the the disease it's very it's difficult feet. to yeah to step so each step is 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 more painful than the last and they finally arrive to the top of the volcano um and he's in decent shape, but fairly winded because of the mm -hmm. the disease. And by the time he arrives, they get to this this cave mm -hmm. with some some flashlights. It's cold up there. I mean, it, they it was eighty degrees on the bottom. By the time they get to the top, they're at about uh, five degrees Fahrenheit. Right? Yeah. So it's cool. One thing, one thing I love right here is you almost certainly have kind of a, a time horizon. Uh, and it's great for storytelling as well as true of just biology is there's a point of no return where you've degraded far enough that even the cure will no longer work. And so we're, we're fighting against the clock, not just the clock that I said, what within 72 hours, you die a gruesome death, but there's a time horizon within the 72 hours where if you don't get there, it's too late. I, I think that that's a part of this as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, when he gets to the cave, they, they go inside uh it's it's dark it's smelly there's a, a bat comes flying out um and he has to dodge and then it gets increasingly more cramped there's a dripping noise and this damp earthy smell as they continue to to work their way into the cave and um he's always struggled with claustrophobia but now he knows this is this is his only hope and and he feels everything kind of closing in around and uh the the headlamp is is face forward and all he sees are just more rocks and dirt but then this um the he starts to smell sort of this this minty smell right and they they come mm. upon this they they finally the cavern opens up and they come upon this uh ice cold pool uh, and he looks over at his his friend and, and says, "Okay, uh, Angela, where is the where's the cure?" Mm. And she has a concerned look on her face. Um, she's she's rummaging through the the plants and and she says, "It's it's not here. The the plant's gone." And so at that moment, he 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 loses hope. 
you know, and, his, and the pain in his feet that he's been ignoring all this time becomes excruciating. And he looks and sees that the, the purple lines have made their way up past his knee. And he knows that once it gets to the top of his thigh, he's done. Mm. So I love that. I love the physical representation of time at that. Like you can actually visibly see time happening in this case. And so he says, is there any other place where we could get this, this plant? And she says, no, this is the only, the only place that I know of. Um, and so they start looking around and they start seeing uh, shovel marks. Um, and so they realize that someone else has been there before and has taken the plants. Uh, so, so they leave without the cure, um, but with the knowledge that someone else must have it. Yeah. So they, they go to the base and they talk to some of the people that are locally there and they ask if they've, they've seen anybody and they say, yes, there was a, a gringo that came here just yesterday. And, <laughs> it's always a gringo, isn't it? <laughs> and, and, and he, he, he took all of the plants and he's planning to grow them in his, his laboratory and make lots of money. And so they, you know, they, they, they pay them some money and they, they take them to the place where this, this gringo is. Of course, there's a, there's a concertina wire around the, the building and, um, and he looks down and sees that the, the line has crept um, a few inches more above his knee. And at this point, he's, he's quite desperate. Um, so they, even still, they wait until nightfall because they see that there are guards roaming around the outside. Um, and they, they finally get their chance to sneak into the building. So when they, when they get into the building, they're, um, one of one of the men comes comes at them and and is is telling them what are you doing here you know is pointing the gun and uh, Angela's holding her hands up he grabs the gun swipes it out of the way throws it to the ground and uh, they they fight their way into the building where they find one of the plants still alive and she says but we can't we can't do this this is this is the last of this species. Yeah. You know, you, you can't eat this. If you eat it, then the species is gone. Mm. Um, and he says, well, what about me? I'm, I'm going to die. I'm, I'm the last of me. <laughs> if, if I don't get, if I don't eat this. Right. Yeah. So, um, they, they, they look around the lab and find that most of the other plants have died. And so they, they can't live outside of this, this environment that they were in. Mm-hmm. Um, so he decides, Let's let's bring them back. And he goes back through this arduous journey of, of reclimbing the mountain. And by that time, it's three quarters of the way up. And when he when when they put these other plants that appeared to be dead around the pool, they start to sort of have this effervescent color that comes to them. And he, he's asking, Well, what is what is that effervescence that they you know, and apparently it's this photoluminescent bacteria that hmm. actually provides the luminescence to the plant that allows it to do photosynthesis yeah. in this dark area, right? And and that combined with the bacteria is what allows. So he's able to take this this 
this plant that's still fresh and eat it. And, you know, initially all it does is make him puke. Um, but, but, but after they, after they, they, they decide that they're going to stay the night in the, the cave because they're, they're quite tired and, mm-hmm. and they drink some of this, this cool, refreshing water. And uh, he sleeps, he falls asleep. And when he wakes up, uh, Angela is looking at him and says, how are you feeling? And he says, wow, it's amazing. I've never slept that well before. And uh, he looks down and the the purple striations are gone. Yeah. So they, 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 they discover as they continue to look into this, that um, this, this, this plant can actually be grown in a, in another environment. They just need to keep it dark. And so they're able to use that to synthesize a drug and cure other people of the, the, the disease and, and stem off the, what could have killed billions of people. I love it. I love, I love how much is still open to the story. I mean, exactly like we discussed, you, you give a a beautiful, really compelling outline. I think like almost in a campfire stories kind of way. And I apologize. You can hear my kids now they've gotten home. Um, such a refreshing, such a rewarding, such a compelling story. It's really, really good. Uh, I will, I will tell you that I've interrupted uh, nobody less than I interrupted you. You just really had command of the story and the idea. And I was along for the ride. Um, so I don't know if you prepared ahead of time. No, <laughs> you said you didn't. Yeah. You just, you just start to have these ideas. That's really, really impressive. Um, and there's, there's just some, some deep themes as well as human emotion involved in that story that I, I really, really enjoy. I like that. It felt, um, felt theatrical to me. I'll be honest. I, I felt like a little bit like I was watching a movie. There was a point there where I'm just seeing and kind of visualizing all the things and starting to add some of my own details and a, a few little conflicts here and there and why the people dig up the plants and what they're hoping to achieve and, uh, wonderfully told. I wish I didn't have to end this episode. I want to just keep talking and telling the story and getting to know you more because uh, I think that you are a wealth of, of information, but because I do have to end all good things must come to an end. Tell the listeners where they can find you, where they can find any published work you have or anything at all that you want to direct people toward to get to know you better. Yeah. So uh, if you go to Amazon and search for children of the U. That's my first book that I've published, and I do have a, uh, another book planned this year. I do have an audio book coming out. Um, so if you search for Tony Torzillo on Amazon, you should be able to find me. Um, I also have a, a website that I don't put much attention into. It's TonyTorzillo.com. Uh, you may find updates there, but uh, <laughs> I haven't touched it for a while. So Yeah, I hear you. And you can also find me on Twitter, uh, Tony Torzillo on Twitter. Perfect. All righty. Well, thank you for telling the story today. It was really, really well done. Um, I, I had a lot of fun. I feel like lately I've had some good luck. And so I've had some good guests, but every time I'm like, this is the best story I've heard. I can't believe I just got to to witness the story. So, and that's how I feel this time. And I really appreciate you uh, accepting my invite. It was very rewarding. Okay. I appreciate that. Thanks. Have a great Thanks. day.
Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?